Welcome to this episode of Music Matters with Daryl Craig Harris and Music Tribes Unite News. Talking about all things music with celebrities, artists, music business insiders and more. Hey, everybody. Um, welcome to Music Matters Podcast. Today, we have the legendary Mike Watt, rock punk bassist, or punk rock bassist, I should say, um, who's coming us from coming to us from the Pedro, which is San Pedro <laughs> in California. How you doing, Mike? <laughs> I'm glad to be here, Daryl. Thanks so much for having me aboard. Mm. So you, I mean, you have such a long history with some amazing bands, the Minute Man, um, Iggy and the Stooges, and so many. And you guys have um, the second album out with your MSSV project um, that's being released. I think, is that actually being released today? Yeah. Now, we got to uh, remind people, it's Mike Baguetta's project, and, but I'm really glad to be part of it. And it's kind of a different experience. You know, I found through all the years, you were talking about collabs, playing with different people. Right. And, uh, well, I guess anytime you get on stage with more than one person, it's kind of a collab, it's an ensemble. But there's a lot of different ways to do that. Sometimes you're the shot caller. For example, with my operas, like uh, Contemplate the Engine Room, Second Man's Mill Stand, and Hyphenated Man. I was asking people to take direction because I had this piece, right? Then you mentioned Stooges, also Porno Pyro, uh, J Mascus in the Fog, right? Flipper and uh, Taff Falco. This is when, usually in that case, you take the place of the dead dude or the gone guy, I should say, because he ain't always dead, but you learn his parts. So, Actually, you're learning how to take direction, which I think is pretty healthy if you want to like give it to other people. Exactly, yeah. Actually, life, too, I think is about taking turns. Inhale, exhale. It seems a lot of stuff have these dangling dualities, huh? And, like, you, you miss out. I know some things try to point in the direction. Just be the boss and you've won. But if you're the boss, there's going to be stuff you'll never learn. Right. So I think it's good to take different roles. The other ways to collab is kind of the thing where everybody brings their piece to it, which is maybe more a true collab. Yeah. Like we'll do a couple of your songs. We'll do a couple of mine. Or you put the pieces together with different parts. Um, there's just so many ways. But with this MSSV project, first time I've ever had a cat write bass parts for me. I mean, D. Boone didn't even do that in Minutemen. Right. Wow. D. Boone. We grew up playing together. He'd just play it. I'd come up with a part in the same way sure. for my songs. So never had to show. But this, what Mike Baguetta told me he does is he gets one of these drum machines that can do samples. And it's got pads he can play. He puts bass notes in the samples. And then he, like, plays the bass parts out like they were drums. Oh, interesting. It's kind of coincides. It's trippy because this is where my thinking is going with doing bass you know, Dee Boone's mom put me on bass when we were 12. I didn't even know what it was. Uh, but looking at pictures, right, it's Arena Rock Days, 1970, right? So, oh, it looks like a four-string guitar. But as time has gone on... And yeah, you learn quickly, young, it's not. <laughs> it's like a four-string drum set. Right. 
And so me, my get it has something about composing this way. It's just a coincidence, but life's yeah. trippy that way. People come into your life, you come into their life. It's a trip, right? And hopefully if you keep your mind open enough, everybody's got something to learn from the experience. That's the thing, I think. And as you get older, you realize like it's sometimes it's so much better just to listen and pay attention, you know. Like like you think 12th grade, right? Or or that master's degree or that PhD. No, the classroom's never really over until exactly. you know, the fourth act. Yeah. How, how did you how right. did you first uh, start playing? Was it was it them putting you on bass and, and yeah. When I met him, she well, she had played guitar when she was a girl. So she wanted her boy to play guitar. Oh, okay. And then she wanted he met me and I bring over to, he brings me over to the house. Second day, first day he came to my apartment. <laughs> Second day, I just moved there from the Navy housing to these projects. And he was living in older projects here in Pedro. So she says, You're going to have a band. And well, yeah, sure. Anything to hang out with this guy. Man, I just was way into him. So every band's got a bass player. So you'll be the bass player. And uh, okay. Found out later it was kind of econo childcare. Keep us in the house after school. That's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's cool. I mean, like when you're when you're a young kid and never, you play in a band, that's like the biggest dream ever, right? <laughs> absolutely. Like like look at this example. One time I hear a neighbor, you know, in the projects, the the women, the ma's are the strong thing, right? She's going, well, how, how do you stand all that noise and racket every day after school? She goes, I know where my son is. Right. She's a little paranoid, I think. But that paranoia actually helped me and Dee Boone. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great, too, as as a young guy, because I was kind of in a similar situation. I grew up with a single mom and and uh, started getting into music really young. And it's so great to have something like that that's yours and that, that gives you confidence. And you're not out doing bad stuff. You're focusing on learning how to play your instrument, right? I agree. I agree. Looking back, but in those days, you know, you're wondering why things are happening. You don't know. Right. Yeah. So looking back, I can't thank her enough. By putting me on bass, by having us do, yeah, like you said, focus on something instead of getting in trouble. Mm. Yeah. And how did you, so how, what drew you towards uh, like punk rock? I, I guess you're kind of known as a punk rock, I mean, rock bass. Player. Yeah. Was, how, how did that come about for you? Is that was that something that you loved? Or? We graduate high school, San Pedro High. 1976. Now, we all we know before that, see, when I look back on the movement now, I don't really think it was a style of music. You've got to understand the situation. I, I learned this by helping out those Stooges guys for 125 months. Because right. I found out in the 60s, there was a whole little club scene, little labels, garage bands. But it happened, you know, we're 13 in 1970. So what we know Right. In the 70s, this thing called arena rock. In fact, we never know about a club mm. until the movement. So then when I'm looking back now, that's what I see it as. Embracing this kind of older form, which goes back also to R&B and jazz. The little venue. I mean, right. How many bands were started at club? How many bands were started at arena rock show? Exactly. are kind of like nuremberg rally i mean yeah, yeah, weird yeah. kinds of ways to yeah you're playing music, in the garage, right? you're playing you're playing at backyard parties you're doing all that right well you can see how guys are just hanging out together in the bedroom just trying to copy blue oyster cult and credence songs right. off record 
you see a situation where people are actually writing their own songs and playing for, uh, and the gigs were trippy too. It seemed like they were just taking turns playing for each other. The guy you're standing next to while you're watching this band up oh, now he's on stage. And then that guy's like, there's no velvet rope too. It was like, it was that like was a another thing. communal vibe, right? Right, and you didn't have that definitely at a rear rock show, right. not at all. Right. So, see, so I can't really, even a, and also in those days, Daryl, it changed so quick. So, even a kid in the early 80s doing hardcore, mm-hmm. fast guitar, slam dance, and all this, it's a different experience than ours. He's not coming from a rear rock, actually, that's his first rock and roll. So, right. but we could share on the same thing, you know, humans are humans. A little age difference, whatever, or whenever you find out. Yeah, but it's the, it's that, the, that's, the energy yeah. of rock music, right? It pulls everybody together. But that's the thing. I remember this band called Black Humor. And I think they were up in the city in the early 80s, and they had this song where the chorus, uh, ver- uh, hippies, black leather jack, whatever, but there was a line where the lady says, the only thing new is you finding out about it. <laughs> and so much of me, like even DIY found out Walt Whitman printed his Leaves of Grass in 1855 himself. Mm. So DIY talking like goes way back. Labels and it's a, it's a conservative movement in a way. It's an old timey <laughs> movement. Nobody yeah. else will put it. He writes twelve poems. He thinks he's going to stop the Civil War with this. Right. Well, you know, his in his heart. Yeah. The reality was whatever, but if you paid for it, right. well, we found out the same thing through the movement. If you paid the printing guy, your record could come out no matter who liked it or didn't like it. Right. Yeah. Right. Almost a foist, right? Mm-hmm. But as long, you know, with arts, a little safer. You're not hurting people. If they don't like it, they just leave. If they take, right. turn off the machine or walk out the hatch. Yeah. Yeah, but that I mean, a lot of the punk rock scene, it seems like it came out of these guys starting these small labels, and then it just kind of grew and grew, right? Yeah, that's the way I look at it. I don't really look at style of music. It did gravitate to this fast kind of guitar music, mm-hmm. but at first, like in seventies, like you'd go up to the whiskey, and you did not know what you were going to see. A lot of bands didn't even have the the first band that could sell out the whiskey was the Screamers. They didn't even have a guitar, right? So it was kind of like kind of an art rock trip kind of a cross uh i think pro- provocative just trying to push I, I remember my sister taking me every weekend the tiffany in west hollywood would show rocky horror picture yeah, show, oh yeah. this movie yeah, we, right, uh, right? and then the people <laughs> do all the work and throwing the toast and the hypo yeah. squirts like they took over the show well i saw the same those same people were at the early punk shows and it was the same vibe like, we're not just going to be in the audience in the dark. We're going to be part of the gig. Right, yeah, they're going to participate. They're going to jump off stage. They're going to do all sorts of, right? Well, you can see how, uh, for outsider people like me and D. Boone, this is a very attractive situation. <laughs> yeah, you know? you're, you're like, you're kids, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of girls, right? That's not a bad thing. <laughs> well, I, I, the early scene was a lot of ladies because hmm. it came from glitter and glam. Like I said, it's this connect with uh, Rocky Horror. Right. They didn't feel straight. Of course, when the young guys with the slam and see, also it reflected in the dance. Right at first, it was pogo. You got your own space right. up and down. Then it goes to slam. <laughs> yeah, the girls like, have to. Leave. <laughs> 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 the 
So, so things change like that, but it yeah. was very female at that time. And, and then when you're part of a minority thing, an underground thing, there's something attractive just about that. Yeah, you're feeling that in school. Right. Why not go to a place where you're kind of rewarded for it? Yeah. yeah. Instead of ostracized. Counterculture, and that's always attractive sure. to you, all right? Sure. And by that time, and I think, and remember, we're boys in the 60s, so all that stuff we're seeing, civil rights, anti-war, free speech, and that, by the time you get to the 70s, that's kind of, yeah, it's Rita Rock and, you know, right, yeah. whatever. So, but then your your mind was still all lit up like that. So yeah, try to make your own version of the counterculture. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, what, and what an exciting time to be like in Southern California. The music scene, I mean, it's always been vibrant there, but especially in the seventies, right? There was all sorts yeah. of stuff happening. Absolutely, but you know, you look back, uh, the the Eagles, that Troubadour country rock came out of SoCal before that surf. Mm-hmm. And Fender guitars and yeah, yeah, yeah we've always had canyon thing. And maybe not inventors, but we like put our own spin on it. Mm, yeah. How how did you uh, so how did you end up with Iggy and the Stooges? What's what's that story? Oh yeah, well, uh, actually, it was with helping Jay Maskus out with his project, The Fog, mm. and he wanted to sing every song every night. So he says, "Why why don't we do some Stooges songs and you sing those?" Mm. Because Actually, the Stooges, the Ashton brothers, Scotty and Ronnie, Ronnie hadn't talked to with Iggy in 29 years. Oh, wow. Okay. But when we come through on this tour with Jay Maskus in the Fog in Ann Arbor, Ronnie lived. Jay said, call him up, you know, because he used to come to my gigs. Right. Minute men. Yeah. And Jay decides to take Ronnie on tour. So I think Ig heard about this and called Ronnie finally after all the, hey, I remember what Ronnie told me was Ig said, this indie guy is stealing my treasure. <laughs> Ronnie told me, my, my treasure? He says, he's had my phone number because he's living at his ma's pad, right? right. Ronnie only lived out of his pad when they were in Hollywood a couple of years. He always lived at home. Uh-huh. And so anyway, I think that was kind of the thing to get the band going again. And then Roddy, Ronnie like kind of voted for me because of me playing with him, with Jay. Right. Watt knows the songs. Of course, everybody in the old de- days of the uh, yeah, punk of movement, Stooges back in, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this, I've seen this happen before. The, the originators really don't know the effect of their music. On, like, yeah, a, they don't. They, and they sometimes be, feel like they've been forgotten, yeah. right? Yeah. Right, right. So, like Ronnie say, I felt like the old blues guy on the porch and people coming up to me. Yeah. I mean, those are some really fun. Those are some fun bass, bass uh, songs, right? To play and <laughs> some good, that's some good stuff. Coincidence too, I should tell you. Mm. Right around that time, right before I helped Jay Maskus, I got a sickness that almost killed me. Oh wow! Uh, it was an infection from riding bicycle, and instead of like lancing the rub it on the seat, right? In the, mm-hmm. It's called the taint, or perineum's the doctor word, but taint where I grew up. Taint the asshole, ain't taint the balls, right? So <laughs> you can... But anyway, uh, they, they had to do surgery on me and all this stuff, and they had put a tube in me, so I couldn't play bass, right? It came right, right in my bladder for... Oh, wow. Yeah. Half no, that's no fun. I couldn't play... I hadn't stopped playing bass since D. Boone's mom put me on it. Wow, yeah. So when I went to, 
I couldn't do it. I, th- I thought this was supposed to be like bike ride. You never forget. <laughs> so practice, I did Stooge, because Stooge is not a lot of court changes, but a lot of feel. Yeah, right. So little, oh, little doll. I found out later from playing with him that the baseline to little doll is actually from Pharaoh Sanders, Upper Egypt, Lower Egypt. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah those guys yeah, are still listen, on the cards, right? <laughs> TVI's got one Motown beat. Yeah, they all when you start figuring this out, music is made of all kinds of things from all kinds of places. Yeah. And why shouldn't it be? It's all vocabulary. That's why I'm really, really on a war path against this idea of genre. Because I really believe music is music. Yeah. And these other things, even though it might be some kind of some people perceive as a shortcut, it ends up cheating us out because, yeah. oh, my tribe doesn't listen to that drum beat. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you want to you be You're a cheap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree with you, there. So how, how so about... Is, how, it was the reality of my sickness and having to practice and get strong again, and then the coincidence of these guys finally talking again, mm-hmm. and then... When we did the gigs, 125 months of them, I thought it was going to be one gig at Coachella, right? It was like, <laughs> like almost burnt near 10 and a half years. So wow. nobody's their age at the gig. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're not even my age. Their kids want to know where this band who was responsible for their movement <laughs> yeah, right. was like. It was trippy. People 20, 30, 40 years younger than them. They want to see the real deal, right? <laughs> Yeah. And I would have never planned this when I was starting to play with D Boone, you know. Yeah. But, you know and that music and, and I mean all the bands that you've been in were so influential, you know. Um, I mean, obviously not only in the Southern California scene, but globally, that that music is just so beloved. And and now it's it's people have turned their kids onto it, they turn their grandkids onto it, and it keeps it stays alive, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the only way. If you make it a kind of form or something of brand, you know, yeah, so it goes. But so, if it's something dynamic, you know what I'm saying? Let's say you got that guy, you got clay, and then that guy like puts it on the wheel and makes up his best coffee mug out of it. Mm-hmm. It's forever going to be that coffee mug. If it stays clay, whoever's wheel on that wheel, right? right? That's I would like to see things in a. Yeah, and it, and it keeps growing and changing, and then younger kids come up with their own version, and that's sort of that's sort of how it's always been with music, right? Absolutely. For example, literature. You can use every word that's already been invented, not invent one word, and still have a very original novel. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's the way. What, what's your What's your feeling on songwriting? Is that Is that something that you you love to do? Is it Do you like writing in a group? Do you like writing by yourself? What's What's your approach to that? In fact, I think that's one of the future roles of the bass. Like the bass has always been a support thing added on last. Right. Reggae. <laughs> <It's> first in <laughs> reggae. <laughs> I got to see Bob Marley's '79 Family Man Barrett. Great. Yeah, it was at a basketball. It was at Poly Pavilion, but still, sound that sound man got him in there. But uh, composition tool, because the bass, harmonically, we're very narrow. Right. We start and stop things. We, you know, more than intimate a rhythm and suggest uh, melodies. But harmonic-wise, we really leave it free to your collaborator. Whereas if you compose on piano or guitar, you're already painting those guys, you know, 
Yeah. It seems like base. You could still, you know, come up. Yeah. Some people say to me, yeah, why, why didn't you write it on kick drum or cymbals? Yeah. <laughs> you know, not enough information, but a guy like Nels Klein, he loves it. Might right. be good too. And you look like, yeah, you know, some room. Yeah, John Deacon from Queen wrote some of the best Queen songs coming from a bass player. Absolutely. Absolutely. Under pressure. Oh, my God. What a bass line. It's not even an interval. Yeah. It's just it's amazing, like amazing stuff. And the bass, you know, the ba- as a bass player myself, you realize that you have a lot of control in the band. <laughs> He's almost like the point guard. Who's right. going to get the ball? Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. going to go where you go, pretty much. They have to. <laughs> in some I remember I had to do this interview last year for the AM radio station who does the Dodgers. Because yeah, right. they got their their guys is a Pedro guy. So let's talk to another Pedro guy. What? And so the guy asked me this question. What are you trying to do on the base? And like, I can't, you know, this is the Dodger listening audience. So let's right. not get too mute or what. So I think closest note. Probably that kick drum. I'm trying to dance with the kick drum. Mm. And the dude got it. Yeah, and just make people nod their heads and, and make them make catch the groove, right? That's, that's If you're doing that, then you're winning. <laughs> Feel it almost more than hear it. Right, exactly. When yeah, that's, that was kind of the moment for me with James Jamerson and those guys and Bob Babbitt. Like, it's almost oh, like... Yeah. We just, all owe that man. Oh, my God, we owe that man. Yep. Mm. Yeah, they reinvented. The, they kind of reinvented the wheel a little bit. And plus, they had amazing arrangers that really gave them some really good stuff to play over, right? He comes from stand-up, too. Right. So he did have foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these guys, oh, my God, Paul Ch- John Coltrane, Mr. PC, right? He writes a song for him. Yeah. You know? I'm sure, Miles can write uh, John McLaughlin a song. John Coltrane wrote Mr. Paul Chambers a song. And, and and just all kinds of guys, Jimmy Blanton, Duke's band, and the, the stand-up. I think James James going for because if you look at all the other early electric bass players, they're all guitar players looking for work. Right. James James is one of the guys that actually comes over from the other side. You know, Charlie Mingus said, "No way." I say, Lionel Hampton tried that with his guy. You know, <laughs> this big beef I read about. Uh, Atlantic Records tried to make some summit with a young uh, Stanley Clark ah, and yeah. Charlie. And I'm going to teach you take the H. I don't need to learn take the H. You know, this kind of shit. You know, right. get out of there. James Jamerson, he's the guy. He doesn't have to talk about it. He just does. Mm-hmm. It's, there's no role for it yet. He can't, they can't really record this right, especially for AM radio. And like you said, match those arrangements with the great singers. Because I also think James Jameson's also listened to the singer big time when he's right. Uh, mm-hmm. composing, right? Also, right? No uh, headphones. They're listening to the whole thing. Yeah. So yeah. he's getting big picture. He's getting big picture. I think this is very important. Yeah, that, that's These actually. These players play too much. I think Jim Bergantino t- told me he calls them pajama players. Mm. They only play by themselves, and that ain't really bass. That's like, hey, you want some uh, stew with that salt? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. man, you know, you need the big picture. Yeah. How I, the bass going to aid and abet? We already say, and we already agreed there's a lot of power with this, right? Now, how's that power going to be wielded? Mm, yeah. James, James, great, great. 
help her with uh, us getting some wisdom that way. Yeah. And I think part of his background. Mm. Yeah, and he was but so also, and, and he had so many. There were so many great songs to play over <laughs> that that helps too, right? <laughs> Dude, on like two hundred top top twenty singles. He's, I think he's on two hundred of them, and his name's only on one. The what's going on? That uh, yeah. Marvin Gaye. Well, it's, it's it's, and a lot of people, again, would think of you as a punk rock bass player, but I mean, you listen to everything, obviously, and you know, and you, I, I, you're like me. I'm, I'm just a lover of the instrument. Like, I don't really categorize anybody. Um, and there's everybody has something to contribute, right? Yeah. Even as a bad example. Yeah. Well, that's, you know. <laughs> I, I can. I tell you what. I, I, I've always said I can go see a fifteen-year-old kid play, and he'll do that. He'll do one thing. I'm like, wow, that's. I never thought about that. <laughs> well, here's the thing with physics in bass: the more notes you play, the smaller you get. So a guy or a woman just starting with the Econo thing, really good bass line. Right. You yep. get all crowded, and you get you get punished. Sure, that God fusions at the end of the hall asking you to crawl on your knees. But you know what? In terms of the big thing, that 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 baseline and cycle killer that yeah. Tina Weymouth did. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Sometimes not knowing provides the clue what can help a tune. Remember, that's the thing that when you, like you said, James Jameson had all them great tunes to play to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you mentioned too, like a lot. A lot of these days online, you see all the gospel chops, and and I mean, God bless everybody. It's cool, but like, it's nice to just hear good, solid quarter notes, and just pounding it out. Right, that's so powerful. He improvised too a lot, though. That, that what's going on? You know, he was on his back, right? He's drunk. He didn't know about sex. They found him in a bar. Right. So he's still, he he's you know. Well, that's where the jazz musicians are, are great, where they can do stuff like that. They can serve the tune and still improvise and reinvent yeah, in the yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a gift. If you yeah. want to set your sights and wants to talk about where he wants to set his sights, I wish I could do that. Because then, yeah, you're not the karaoke machine, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you switch it up somehow. Sometimes it might be leaving a note out. Right. Less is more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's oh, true. I got an idea about this thing called work in the holes you're trying to look in the future what spaces are you giving to your fucking collabs your 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 colleagues mm. yeah that's true and like you said sometimes it's what you don't play that's actually way more powerful <laughs> drummers know this yeah. drummers know this mm. absolutely so th- on this album this this uh, the the name of the album is human reaction how long did it take yeah. you guys to record that this is the great strategy mike baguetta used why don't we play half the tunes we're going to record every night, switch it up every other night. So the end of the tour, half the gigs had half the set, half the gigs had the other half. Ah, okay. Set, I should say album. So the day after, right, we do 45 gigs in a row. Day 46, instead of playing at club, we play the studio. <laughs> we do a g- Right? A gig in front of the microphones. You think we're practiced up? Yeah. I've always had to do it the other way. You get the album done, then you're torn, thinking, God, are we going to play these tunes longer? Now I've got to learn the song. Right? The the most real prac. I mean, you need the prac pad prac. 
but prac in front of people, that's, yeah. So one day, because wow. it was like, a, and he's going to do that this tour too for the next album. I think it's well, a great. The album sounds great. I was checking it out today. I love I love the spontaneity of it. I love the, the vibe and the sound of it. I like the rawness, which which today some stuff is so overproduced. It's nice to hear guys in the studio just rocking, you know. I think almost all of them were first takes. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it sounds great. I, you know, I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. And I should say, so it's Mike Bogata, Stephen Hodges, right? And then you, of course, Mike Watt. <laughs> and, uh, and how can people, producer man, engineer man? Yeah, and you also have a podcast. Um, um, well, that word, but I have had a show for 22 years and two months. Right. So it's the Watt from Pedro, correct? They always say Pedro, but yeah. Or TWFPS. Do the acronym, because that's also the URL, TWFPS.com. Ah, okay, perfect. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You also have MikeWatt.com as well, right? Well, that's my hoot page where I thought when the internet came, everybody could have a website, and that would be like everybody having their own fanzine. Because remember, in the movement, fanzines were incredible fabric. Right. You know, the spin, the Rolling Stone, the hit parade, yeah. they don't want to rap about us. So we made our own zines. They call yeah. them zines, right? Yeah. This was really important. I thought that was going to happen with websites, not corporate things like Fake Look and Instant Hammond. But, you know, humans. Yeah. Uh, Pat Boone sold many more Tutti Fruities than Little Richard. <laughs> it's just the reality. So that's why I got a website. I've had it, uh, yeah, 25 years now, almost. Yeah. But uh, the... That's to let people know what's going on in Watt's world. The, yeah. the me playing other people's music, that's kind of me trying to pave down the debt. I feel I owe the movement. Mm. I got to be heard. So why don't I play music from cats who don't get to be heard? Yeah, that's and that's and awesome. The last few years, I've been having a guest every show. And it's during the situation, I was doing like up to five a week. Right. And I started 22 years ago, it was once a week. And then I'd have to take time off on tour. But it's because of the situation. Music's a lifeline, right? Not just a motto. <laughs> Reality. Yeah, it helps people. So was, yeah. Right. And then people telling me about this guy. that guy, It was totally like the old days. Remember the cassette mixtape? Yeah, yeah. You hear about songs you never did from a buddy? Yeah. That's the kind of vibe. That's the aesthetic I'm trying to do, Daryl. Perfect. Yeah. And that's, and that's great that you do that, Mike, because that's so important for new bands to be heard. And there's so much noise out there. You want to be able to feature people that you really like and that you think are like, have something to say, right? right, right. Mm. I mean, that's, that's the test. If your mind is really open and you got to say to yourself, there's something, something can teach me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always new stuff coming out. There's people taking what you guys did and reinventing something completely different, which is exciting too, as well, right? This thing about contact mics, like mm. you can put them on anything, a comb and start combing your hair. <laughs> yeah. I know the technology is always changing, right? <laughs> right. And also more econo. So there used to be a huge gap between the dudes recording and the dudes making. A lot of the dudes record themselves now. So yeah. you've got more chances. And also, the more econo, easier to take chances. You don't have to have all, all this money on the production, right? Right, yeah, but you can do it at home with a laptop. Yeah. Right, right. 
exciting. I so, think it's exciting for, for young for young kids that don't need a, a million dollars to go in and just do a record and, right. and out and see how it does, right? Right. And also the sad thing I hear sometimes, everything's already been done. No mm-hmm. way. Yeah. No, no way. Yeah, as long as we're still still human and still learning, it's there's always something new coming around the corner. <laughs> you know. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I, I'm excited about the new album and, and also make sure everybody check out the tour schedule. I think you'll have, probably have that up on your website and, um, and, and take a look for MSSV, the second studio album, Human Reaction. Um, it's exciting. The music's really fun. A lot of MSSV.com. Stop valve. That's actually what it stands for. It's, it's a, a word used in the Sand Pebbles. Sand Pebbles was this book written by Richard McKenna, but Steve McQueen made a movie version of it in 66. It was right. me and Deep's favorite movie when we were boys. And ah. Mike again, yeah, he decided, okay, we'll call the project. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, who, who doesn't love Steve? <laughs> yeah, I know. In, in, in sailor suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 he's awesome. <laughs> hey, thank I, you. I love the first line, too. What was the first line? Hello, ship. Because I call the van the boat, right? Uh, okay. Awesome. Hey, Mike, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll catch up. I, when I Next time I come out to LA, maybe we can meet up for lunch or something and, and meet, be great. meet in person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on our social media channels for upcoming guest announcements. And keep up with the latest at musictribesunite.news.